0: Darkness is not an affirmative force. It simply reoccupies the space vacated by the light. This is the Hamilton Corner on American Family Radio. It should be uncomfortable for a believer to live as a hypocrite. Delivering people out of the bondage of mainstream media. And the philosophies of this world. God has called you and me to be his ambassadors. Even in this dark moment. Let's not miss our moment. And now the Hamilton Corner. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Hamilton Corner. Abraham Hamilton III here. You've made it. Till You're on your way to the weekend edition of the Hamilton Corner. It's been a full week, uh, but I'm very excited about today's program. I have some things on my heart I just want to share with you uh, from my heart, uh, primarily from the Word of God. And um, at this very moment... Many of you, if not most of you, are making that transition from your part-time jobs where you generate an income to your full-time jobs where you cultivate an outcome. As you are doing so, let me remind you uh, that what goes on in your house is far more important than what goes on in the White House. Uh, The world works feverishly, works overtime to get us to divert our attention and to place import and the significance on everything else around us. And really, in a lot of ways, to just wear us out to where when it comes to serving the Lord through what transpires in our homes, many of us, one of the first obstacles to overcome is literal physical fatigue, you know, uh, mental fatigue, physical fatigue. Uh, But what I want to encourage you to do is to understand that as you're doing your part time jobs uh, to make sure you have your full time jobs in view. You know, when you wake up in the morning and you go. Uh, to your part-time place of employment, if you are an employee or you're an employer, whatever the situation may be, keep in mind that ministry is required of you once you go home. You know, and I know there's some who do this in reverse, that you go to your part-time jobs in the evening, but the most, the majority of the audience, you are on your way to your full-time jobs now. I want to remind you that what you do in your home is your full-time jobs. I've never once, and all the time I've spent with some of the more seasoned saints as they're transitioning from this life into the eternal state, I've never once seen anybody say, man, I sure wish I could have worked another overtime shift. I, I, I sure wish I could have had more time in the office. I mean, I really, I so love being in the office. You know, most of the time in my experience and in, and in I mean, my experience in terms of what I've experienced firsthand and as well as a lot of what I've read and what I've learned and what I've studied, Uh, People usually find uh, themselves at the latter parts of their their lives lamenting what they had not done within their families. And I'm saying if you have breath in your lungs, you're listening to this show right now, you have an opportunity to make that correction on the front end, that you make sure you understand that what transpires in your house is more important than what goes on in the White House, and it is your full-time job. This is what we need to be able to understand This is what we must embrace. And as I've said numerous times, uh, the basis for this understanding comes right from the word of God. The first institution that God created as he unfolded human history was the family. The first command that God gave to mankind was issued within the context of family. Before you get to an order of priests, before you get to prophets, before you get to monarchs, the first institution that you have is family. Family is important to God. As a result, it should be important to us. All right, to the word of God we go. Romans chapter one is where I want to go to start the show. Um, and this is a very familiar passage of scripture, but I just want to slow down a bit and focus on it with a bit more specificity because there, there are things in the text that we can we can miss if we are not careful in navigating what the Lord has provided for us there. So Romans chapter one, Verses 18 through 25 is what I'm going to read. And The word of God says this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all godliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, And divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God. For an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. for they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now, I've said numerous times that the Apostle Paul's epistle to the Romans was written to Christians. It is to Christians in Rome that the Apostle Paul uh, said, uh, do not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which presents the reality that you could have people who may genuinely have had a born-again experience, but because of a failure of discipleship and a lack of discipleship, they remain conformed in their mind to the thinking of the old nature. Here, the scripture reveals a truth. Verse 18, in that it is the wrath of God that is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Men don't like to think about the fact that God, who is a just God, yes. Who is a loving God, yes. But do you realize that his justice requires his wrath upon sin? I know, again, I know that makes people uncomfortable. You have people that like to present a Gospel to present something as if it is a gospel, which the Apostle Paul would say is no gospel at all, that would focus exclusively on God's compassion, his loving kindness, his tender mercies. But they would sidestep his wrath. It is because God is just that he must judge sin. Believers, when we declare ourselves to be Christ's followers, followers of the way of the Messiah, followers Yeshua HaMashiach, We are not saying anything good or noble about ourselves. Contrary to cultural expectations and even practices in our country here in America, largely, when you declare you're a Christian, when I declare I'm a Christian, I'm not saying anything good about myself. What I am saying, I am declaring that I am woefully lost and bound for hell, but for the grace of God. It is the grace of God that is the mechanism that salvages my soul from eternal damnation. I am declaring that my confidence in my eternal state is not of anything that I have manufactured of my own. It's not of anything that I have done to earn. It is solely the free gift of God that I have accepted by faith. By grace through faith. It is an acknowledgement. That I recognize, man, <laughs> I am irreparably broken. But because of God's grace, I'm made whole. It says nothing good about me, but says everything good about God. But the scripture says men suppress this truth, the truth of human depravity, the truth of man's lostness by our unrighteous conduct. By the frequency and the repetition of wicked conduct, the truth of that lostness is suppressed. And what wicked men do is that we begin to normalize lostness and we conduct soulish affairs based on a critical mass of what is human experience. But if we understand the scripture, the commonality of the human experience should once again drive us even more to the grace of God. Which led the Apostle Paul to say in verse 21, for even though they knew God, not in terms of special revelation, but in a general revelatory sense, they did not honor him as God. Oh, man. What the Apostle Paul penned by the Spirit of God in these passages really, in my opinion, uh, diagnoses, or diagnose, diagnoses the crux of the human condition and the attendant difficulties we endure as a result. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking or speculation or reasoning. How do we how do we get to the place, A, where you have men thinking they're women, women thinking they're men? How do we get to the place where you have a woman like Candace Parker married to another basketball player, has a baby with the basketball player, but then says, no, but I'm a lesbian now and I'm my true self. How do we get to that place? Verse 21, (laughs) the consequences of refusing to honor God as God is that men devolve continually and unimpededly into futility in our thinking. That's how we got here. The only place you can get to, the only way you can get to the place where you have people saying we need to be able to sexualize children to teach them about sex in kindergarten or third grade is because men have refused to honor God. Verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. Verse 23, and exchanged, here's the key, exchanged the glory, the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. Before you get to any other forms of imagery, any other iconography, it is the exchange of the glory of God, his deity, and his aseity. And you exchange that for the corruptibility of men. The author, his name escapes me at the moment, but he, he diagnosed the condition as uh, MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism. We have lots of people who are adherents to moralistic therapeutic deism, but they're, but they're passing that off. As Christianity, because the core of moralistic therapeutic deism is that you are God. Man is God. In a lot of ways, uh, this moralistic therapeutic deism has even been embraced in the church. Think about some of the modern songs that are purported to be worship songs, but really they focus on what God does for you, for me, as if he's some form of cosmic maitre d'. You know, I worship you because this is what you've done for me. Oh, God, you have this. Oh, your reckless love. Like, listen, man, there's nothing reckless about the love of God. God's love is intentional. God's love is specified. It is grand. It is massive, but it's not reckless. But we have all of these songs, and they, they appeal to and swoon on the human emotions, you know. I tell my wife and I tell my children we 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 seek to employ vertical songs, songs that that celebrate the glory of God, the largesse of God that that he doesn't become a footnote in our experience, but that is evidence of the embracing of this moralistic therapeutic deism, you know. But the core of all of the difficulty that we endure here as human beings, it comes down. You can actually literally boil every issue down to this. God's word or man's word. You name the issue. Marriage, God's word or man's word. Rearing children, God's word or man's word. Financial stewardship, God's word or man's word. Social interactions, God's word or man's word. War, God's word. Or man's, you can, every issue, you can boil it down to that. And I I truly believe, which by God's grace, we're going to talk about at length during today's show, is that one of the major features that has contributed to this degradation of society in our country, in America in particular, is that we have lost our understanding, our view, and our embrace of the transcendent, surpassing glory of God. I really believe at the core of what what's happening, that that is truly what it is. There was once a time in our, in our nation's history where people, generally speaking, by and large, had a reverence for God. But that's been lost so much. So people today now are celebrated for just how uh, irreverent they can be. And they'll say things like, well, we're just bucking against traditional social mores. No, you're not. That's why I refuse to describe marriage as traditional marriage. Because if it's nothing more than human tradition, what what prevents us from changing human tradition? But if it's God's design for the institution, if it's God's word on the issue, man's efforts to derogate from that is not merely an amendment to human tradition, it's actually an exercise in defiant rebellion. God's word or man's word, the beginning of the exchange, or I won't say the beginning, the core of the exchange is that we've exchanged the glory of God for that of corruptible men. Instead of pursuing Him, we've made our own image and put that on the throne of our hearts. Shining light into the darkness, this is the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. Welcome back to the Hamilton Corner. Abraham Hamilton III here. Uh, A reminder, September 24th and 25th. Wait, do I have those days right? September 24th and 25th. Clovis, New Mexico. I'm coming your way. Central Baptist Church is the place. Clovis is the church. Clovis, New Mexico is the city. Uh, The senior pastor there is Pastor Michael Kirby. And it will be... Man, I am I am so looking forward to it. Uh, Saturday evening, uh, I will be ministering to the men uh, of the Central Baptist Church, as well as those who will uh, join Central Baptist Church. I'll also uh, be preaching both Sunday morning services at Central Baptist Church on that Sunday morning. Uh, so I definitely would love to meet you, to see you there. Uh, it's going to be an amazing time. It seems that God is giving me more, giving me more and more opportunities to minister to men. And I really believe uh, the, the, the course for the church going forward will be charted by the Spirit of God and men's responsiveness to his ministry, to his leading, and to uh the shepherding of the Lord by his spirit. Um for so long, uh the third wave, third-wave feminism that is uh really infiltrated our society it's also infiltrated the church man. we're asking questions navigating issues uh in the church that throughout the history of the church weren't even issues you know well you know I even had a, a brother ask me the other day wait how, how do you interpret First Timothy 2 um in terms of the the teaching responsibilities and the headship and shepherding and eldership responsibilities in the church I said the scripture is is evident you know you, you don't have to have high- level uh, deep dive hermeneutics is is very very evident that as the apostle Paul is is delineating this to Timothy that headship in the church is reserved to men that's what the scripture says that's what the scripture says this is not something that was debated but the reason why this has become a debate is because of third wave feminisms third wave feminisms infiltration into the church to where now we're seeking to reinterpret the scripture in light of what's happening in culture. Instead of allowing Scripture in the exegetical instruction of Scripture to dictate our engagement with culture, we're doing it in the reverse. There are things that God has reserved for men, just as there are things that God has reserved for women. We know that on a natural plane, the same is true in the church. And then the Lord even goes as far as to say, in terms of one of the qualifications for headship in his church, if a man can't navigate his own household well, how then can he dare shepherd the flock of God? That is the Lord applying an argument concerning his instructions for the conduct of the family and having an, 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 an individual's home and extrapolating that instruction and applying it in a similar application in the Lord's church. It, it's not rocket science, but it's because we have people who willing, and I'm going to say it, who are willing to suppress the truth. By wicked conduct. I'm just, I mean, it's 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 not it's not difficult to comprehend if you want to comprehend. It only becomes difficult when we don't want to comprehend. Now that doesn't mean uh that there aren't a bevy of areas where God is ordained for men to minister outside of the Eldership and shepherding responsibilities, just like there are a of me areas and places where uh, the Lord has ordained for our sisters to minister. One of the major problems that we have, though, and I know I'm a to pot, but I guess that's what I do. I'm a pot stirrer, not intentionally be a pot stirrer, but I just endeavor to to cleave tightly to the Word of God. Is that we we have idolized the shepherding function. The Lord never intended for His shepherds to be viewed as hierarchical superiors in the body of Christ. And we have a diminished understanding of the theology of the body. You know how the Lord says, you know, the discrete members, the ones that are less visible, they're worthy of double honor. You know, every joint in the the body is supposed to supply, not just a hand or an eye or a mouth or a more visible component. Every joint is to supply. But we have this notion that we've we've reduced the Lord's house into kind of a celebritized, a spectator sport to where the person on the stage is the one that does the ministry and we just cheer them on and we celebrate them and the rest of everybody else, you know, we just come kind of like a concert. That's not the way the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be the body of Christ, the house of the household of faith where every joint supplies. And as Ephesians four lays out, we need every joint in the body to supply so that the entire body is grow, grows into full maturity. But we've become so unbiblical in our ecclesiology that it's made evident in an idolatrous penchant for the pulpit. As if that alone is ministry, when it's not the case at all. I could spend, and I may need to do it, just go through uh, the, the scriptures for it. I probably will do that. Uh, because when the Apostle Paul makes his argument to Timothy, it's rooted first and foremost in creation. <laughs> so people would say, well, you know, Abe, the the, the pulpit's uh, limitation to the, the teaching responsibility and the corporate gathered body uh, to men who are shepherds, uh, that's a, a contemporary contextual thing. No, it's not, because Paul roots his argument in creation. Then Paul comes around in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and says, this is the word of God that shall be kept until the end of the age. So he roots the argument in creation and says that this is scripture that is to be embraced and obeyed until the end of the age. There is no time limitation or cultural context, cultural contextual limitation on that instruction. That applies to the Lord's body in every time, in every place, in every context until Jesus returns. That's in the scripture. We'll have to delve into that. Um but this is connected to what 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 I'm saying is one of the major problems in our day and our time, which is a um I, want, I can't even call it a loss. It is a forfeiture, is what it is, of our proper view and embracing of the glory of God. So I'm gonna I'm gonna share something with you guys. <laughs> some of you know some of this before, but if it connects to or with what I'm saying here now, so if you know anything about me and my history, you might know I've written some songs. and might still write some songs every now and again. Uh, sometimes I know will plays some of the songs I've I've I've, I've written and recorded over the years on there in Addisons. I don't play music as much on my show, so people are like, hey, hey, was that you? And and then I put something on one of my social media feeds earlier. A friend of mine asked me to write a, a verse for a song, so I did. And um, I'm gonna share something with you from a song I wrote years ago called "The Ultimate," and um, really the whole thrust of the song was to convey the reality that God is the ultimate. And I started it this way. I said, the most difficult task in all the world is to portray divinity within limited words, accurately conveying the creator with verbs, limiting infinity to organized blurbs, reducing the ultimate to little bite-sized pieces. When mountains tremble at the thought of his speeches, his reach, it spans from Iceland to Fiji. Creation's his album and I'm glad to feature. Grand Canyon simply carved with the art of his fingers compared to him, complex ballads just sound like jingles. At the mention of his name, all creation tingles, a single choir singing from eternity's hymnal. We marvel at pyramids, but who invented the Nile? Instead of him, some of his men would rather worship a cow, having a form of godliness yet still denying his power when it's well represented in a newborn smile, the ultimate. I, i'm I'm sh- <laughs> when I wrote that song, I wrote it, and that's one verse I have two other verses on it, but I wrote that song because I was gripped by the very thing I'm sharing with you now. I happen to be listening to some worship music, and my wife will tell you my one of my favorite genres if you will I won't even say genre it's favorite i guess types of music I like to regardless of the instrumental genre uh is worship music in fact, my favorite the favorite, my favorite type of music is worship music. My favorite genre are hymns. And the reason why I enjoyed the hymns so, so much was because of the theological accuracy, but the theological accuracy was under the umbrella of the grandeur of God, you know, of the largesse of God. When we, we sing, when the, the, the hymn Great is Thy Faithfulness was taken straight out of the book of Lamentations in the context of the scripture, it's what gripped me as Jeremiah is beholding the ravaging of Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar in the midst of what can only be described as a negative moment, a dark day, a chaotic place. The Lord allowed Jeremiah to focus in on his greatness, his grandeur, and he, it caused him to say, great is thy faithfulness. As we are living in our day and as it, it's, it's plain as the noses are on our faces, as persecution is intensifying even in our own, in our own country, uh, which the Spirit of God through the apostle Paul said would happen. All who desire, first Timothy chapter two, verse three, all who desire to live godly will face persecution. Guys, that is a given. To many of us, because we have forfeited the glory of God, we have developed this kind of moralistic therapeutic deism to where we want a persecutionless face, faith, to where our, our passions and our investment is to try to sidestep persecution. When Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. The spirit of God through the apostle Paul said, all who desire to live, godly will face persecution. The only variable is the type of persecution we will face and the intensity. You know, in our country, many of us right now, the, the, the persecution is uh, being shadow banned on social media or being called a bigot. You know, we have others, you know, there was just a huge win uh, just this week in New York, of all places, where there was a Christian adoption agency. Uh, that is a ministry, that is an adoption agency, a social services organization, and a crisis pregnancy resource center that doesn't take a dime from government, but because of their biblical commitments, they refuse to place children with same-sex couples or unmarried, cohabitating, heterosexual couples. And New York came against them. You say, y'all can't do business here, Whether the courts just... Uh, vindicated them in their First Amendment rights. In that instance, that is a type of persecution because their their ministry is being attacked and being forced to shut down. There were solely because of their commitment to Christ's following. That is a given. So the question then for the believer, and this is something the Lord has been impressing upon me, prepare my body to to remain faithful to me in the face of persecution. In order for us to be faithful to God in the face of this overt hostility, we must be fastened to an expansive view of the glory of God. To give you a picture, the only way that Stephen was able to sustain being stoned, why was he being stoned? For nothing more than preaching (laughs) the truth of God's word. And at the height of him being stoned, He says something very similar to Jesus. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. Do not hold this sin to their account. While he's suffering being stoned, which is an excruciating way to die. But the Bible records that the heavens parted in Stephen saw the Messiah as he's enduring this. To, To encapsulate what I'm trying to say is that his ability... To remain fastened to the glory of God, even in the face of that stoning, is what allowed him to exemplify God's character in that moment. And what I am saying, that in order for us to stand in this day, the same thing is going to be needed. There are many people individually, many pastors and, and many churches even, that are abandoning orthodoxy they're reimagining scripture. You know, you have the whole revoice movement and so-called gay Christianity and all of these things. And the reason why these things are taking root many times because people either themselves are bound in sinful conduct or they have friends, loved ones, and family members who are bound. And it's because of their commitments to their friends, family members, and loved ones that they're willing to reimagine the scripture. But if you hold fast to the glory of God and refuse to reduce him to the image of corruptible man, you will recognize that what I am adhering to is not my opinion. Abe, will you come to my same-sex wedding? No, I will not come to your same-sex wedding. And it is because I love you that I won't do that. It is because I love you that I won't come to your wedding, your same-sex wedding. It is because my presence is saying something false about God and his institution and affirming you in a lie instead of loving you in the truth. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to um, be insulting to you, demeaning to you, but it's because the glory of God that I'm able to adhere to the truth of what he requires of me and you. For me to show up at that wedding is for me to say something that's false. To say that if you persist in this way without repentance, That your end will be something other than eternal damnation. And my brother or my sister, I love you too much to do that. But my ability to do that, because I'm a human being, I have loved ones, I have feelings, I have emotions too. I know what it's like to have somebody, you know, tearfully appealing to you to co-sign something that's wrong. And it is because of the love of God. It is because he is the ultimate. That I have to love you in the truth. 1 Corinthians 13 says it plainly that love does not rejoice in unrighteousness. But in order to live that, it's one thing to understand it intellectually. It's another thing to live it. And I'm saying that the most foundational and fundamental requisite to living it is embracing this expansive notion. The, not notion, the expansive reality of God's glory. We obey him because he's worthy. We obey him because of his glory. We adhere to what he requires of us because of the expansive, transcendent reality. What I am conveying to you is not my word. This is not my opinion. This is the heart of the designer, of the author. And the one with whom both you and i have to do the glory of god compels me to live in light of the reality it's appointed unto man once to die and then there's a judgment it's the glory of god that compels me to live based in the reality that every single one of us will stand before the lord and give an account the unbelievers will stand before him at the great white throne where their sin will be judged for the first time the believers will have the quality of our lives Evaluated as we stand before Him at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. The Hamilton Quarter podcast and one-minute commentaries are available at afr.net. Back to the Hamilton Quarter on American Family Radio. Welcome back. We have the final segment already. Abraham Hamilton III here and this is the Hamilton Corner. Uh it is the wrong view of God that um that 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 leads really to to the great difficulty that that we see um in in our world, you know, even like when you get to things like environmentalism, right? Um you have people who refuse to understand that God created the world. The the Lord literally created the earth and in man, well, let me say the first part first. The Lord literally created the earth for man's flourishing. But the mechanism for man's flourishing or the, the capacity for man to thrive in that flourishing was put within man to make the earth f- fruitful for that flourishing. But an incorrect view of God reveals man's or leads to man having an inappropriate understanding of the earth that says, oh, man lives to serve the environment, as opposed to understanding, no, the environment exists to serve man. Now, it is the the, the the Christ follower that should be the foremost proponent of proper stewardship of the earth. But it is just that stewardship of it, not worship of it. When you have, and, and this continues to boggle my mind, when you have, you know, over the last 170 degrees that the temperature has increased a grand total of one degree Celsius and 170 degree in 170 years. Did you have people running around saying, "Oh, we got five years left. We have 10 years left"? It stems from an in- inaccurate view of God, which leads to an inaccurate view of His creation, which leads to an inversion of the roles. Instead of man exercising dominion and subduing, cavashing the earth, making fruitful for human flourishing, it leads to man worshiping the earth. At least a man saying, oh, we can't produce energy sources that will aid mankind in this particular place and nations all around the world to flourish. We need to preserve the environment just for the sake of the environment. And it it comes down to an an inappropriate view of God. You know, the things I said earlier about sexuality. You know, the, the scripture that says women shall be saved in childbearing, the purpose there is not to say Women will be uh, that—that is, uh, salvific. Having children is salvific. When you read that in context, Paul is doing a whole delineation and confronting things that are struggles for men and things that are struggle for some women. And the, the the whole purpose of the communication is to say that by embracing the femininity that God has made you with, that you have to, as you embrace what God has created you to be, it enables you to thrive as he created you, instead of having scores of women that despise the fact that they're women. Is that not happening right now? You have scores of men that despise the fact that they're men. Is that not happening right now? You know, you have this this phenomenon that mental health professionals have have begun to diagnose rapid-onset gender dysphoria. Teenage girls all of a sudden deciding, oh, you know what, I'm not a girl anymore. rapid onset no instant no incidences of this prior to that but then all of a sudden because it becomes groupthink you have a society that demeans genuine uh, authentic masculinity calling it toxic you have a society that demeans authentic femininity you know the only women and i've said this i forgot where i said this recently the only women that are celebrating our culture today Women who decide they want to sacrifice their families to be, you know, corporate moguls or, you know, to do this, to do, you know, all of these millions of other things. The only men that are celebrated is, they say, the men that are in touch with their feminine side. I got a feminine side. Her name is Maria. That's my wife. Ain't nothing feminine about me because God made me to be masculine. That's not a provocative boasting. That's glory in God's created design. And I'll let you in on something. Even regressive women, women all over the look. You, it, it sounds good on Hollywood shows and on television and commercials and all of that, talking about we need men with man buns and skinny pants, and so I can see your your veins popping out of your thighs. Your pants are so tight. But let me tell you something. The overwhelming majority of women in our society they want real men. Keep it a buck. Even regressive women. I'm telling you, because I talk to them. I talk to people who agree with me, and I talk to people who disagree with me. And you have many regressives. They'll talk. They'll, they'll rattle off every talking point from the donkey party, and then at the end of it, they'll say, "You know what? It's just so. It's just so challenging to find a real man." And I'm like, "Duh," because <laughs> you hang out with people and you espouse a worldview that says y'all despise masculinity, but deep down, even those women desire masculine men. Why? Because God designed it that way. I was telling a young brother the other day and a, a young sister, separate conversations, separate, separate people in different conversations. But the same topic, because they were feeling guilty about their desire to be married, particularly the sister. You know, the sister was like, well, you know, I understand. You know, I don't you know, for, I shouldn't be seek fulfillment in, in marriage and having a child. And I asked the very same. I said, why do you think that? Well, you know, times have changed today. And, you know, I know that's how it was in the 50s and 60s. But today, that's not what it is. I said, do, does time change the word of God? Now, I'm not saying it's true that every woman has to be married. The Bible talks about singleness being a vocation from the Lord. But it is just that, a vocation from the Lord. It is a special calling from God. But because of the overarching Command The first command issued to mankind, fruitfulness and multiplication, in order for mankind to be fruitful and multiply, a man must marry a woman, and a, a man must become a husband, and a woman must become a wife, married to one another, and they bear children. Because that is God's desire. That I know that the majority of people will be married and bear children. That's not bad to desire that. That is good to desire that. And the reason why it's good, it has nothing to do with societal norms. It has everything to do with the fact that God, who is good, designed marriage. And he designed you and designed me to desire it. In the minority circumstances, in the special circumstances where God has given a specific vocation to singleness, that is the reality. But for the majority of people, that is not the reality. So your desire, young sister, to be married is a good desire. Your desire, young brother, because the young man was telling me, he's like, man, you know, I don't really, I don't fit in. He's talking, like, you know, I don't really fit in, bro. You know, you know, because you know, in the street, they're telling you, you know, you need to be doing this, you need to be this. And this is the word term, you need to be knocking this one down, knocking that one down. We got children, listen, y'all ask your parents what that means. I'm not going to tell you. He said, man, but I just really I mean I just really want to be with one. I said, brother, that is a godly desire. That is a godly desire. You know, we had Dr. Jameson Taylor on the show not too long ago. He was talking about with with Roe versus Wade being overturned and you have all of these people saying, oh, we need to do this, these massive welfare states to aid the women who no longer would be able to kill their children. And, and Dr. Taylor said this, and I wholeheartedly agree. I said, what about encouraging men to marry the mothers of their children? What about that? See, so you only get to this notion to where you have to find a substitute for God's design because of an improper view of the glory of God. God designed it for a man Let me say it the way the scripture says it. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. That one flesh union is the foundational unit that produces offspring. Husbands loving and shepherding their wives and providing for their families are the means to provide for children. But if you create a system that celebrates men procreating with women but not marrying them and then requiring those women to keep the men out of the home in order to get benefits, you replace the husband in the home and you replace the father in the home with government. That is how you get to the place to where you look to government to be the source of provision continuously. At its core, at its foundation, it stems from an improper view of God and his glory. But if we go back to the root we get to see the fruit with more clarity, the ultimate, the ultimate. Churches don't need to shy away from encouraging marriage as a societal norm. We should up the ante and elevate it beyond a societal norm and describe it as a biblical reality. Reality. And you can walk and chew gum at the same time. We can celebrate God's design for marriage and family without denigrating those who God has given a special vocation. But guess what we're not going to do? I got to put on my ninth wall for this one. Because this is what society is trying to get our churches to do. What society is endeavoring to do is to get our churches to normalize rebellion. What am I talking about? Mm -hmm. To normalize sexual conduct outside of marriage. Let's just keep it a stack. What's one of the major reasons why we're seeing people much older in age today, yet still remaining unmarried? One of the major reasons is because we got a bunch of people that's having sex. Did I just say that out loud? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. Well, what happens, A, when people have sex? People end up having children, end up having children. Guess what happens in that circumstance when you have people having sex, who are not married, you have this new fangled phenomenon called single-parent households in ever-increasing quantities, which is happening at such high rates that it is occurring in every demographic in our, our society. Those numbers are increasing. And so the world would say, well, because of the prevalence of this phenomenon, the church, church you need to change. <laughs> It's not the church needs to change. The church needs to call people back to the glorious God's standards for holiness. It doesn't mean we become hard-hearted and discompassionate to people in these different circumstances, but we should never change God's standards. God's standards don't change just because of man's inability to meet them. But what the culture wants us to do, well, you know, we have nobody really can live chaste and and holy lives anymore. So what you really need to do is make your church a place that's hospitable. Hospitable to what? Fornication. And listen, I'm I'm not talking reckless. Like I told you guys before, I got family members. Who have single parent households, but that doesn't change the standard. I can still love them, be compassionate, serve them, walk with them, the whole nine without marring the glorious image of God and misrepresenting him as if he is all of a sudden okay with this because it's a frequent phenomenon. No different then it's not common for people not to lie. That doesn't mean the Lord doesn't require us no believers to not lie. You don't see the church, the culture telling the, telling the church, and the church is willing to embrace the culture's instructions. Well, you need to stop worrying about people lying. Just because there's so many people in the world lying. No, nor should we do that with sexuality or in family structure and relations, social relations. But it all comes back to having an improper view of God and his glory. To say it simply, we've reduced him to that incorruptible man. To where instead of we as mankind who profess to be followers of his, endeavoring to worship him through our lives, we say, no, Lord, we want to redefine what you are desirous of to match our conditions. It's the the person, it is the embodiment of Romans 123, exchanging the glory of God for that a corruptible man. God's word versus man's word. We have a responsibility to love people who are broken in all manners of brokenness. But in order to love them appropriately, we have to tell them the truth about what God requires. Jesus said to himself, when the blind the blind, everybody ends up in the ditch. Nobody avoids the ditch if everybody's walking in blindness. Well, what about, you know, the whole notion? What about, well, meet people where they are? Yeah, meet you where you are, not so you can stay where you're at. We meet you where you are so we all can grow to where Christ is. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. But all of this revolves around our forfeiture of the glory of God. And my prayer for the body of Christ in our nation is that we would reorient ourselves, rediscover, or for those who may be discovering for the first time, the glory of God. A lot of the things that are, you know, like the perversions like prosperity gospel, the reason why it's so attractive is because it makes man God. <laughs> it, it 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 puts man in a position where God exists to do nothing but serve us. <laughs> the same thing is true on the other end, you know, because you have lots of people that are willing to, to confront the the wickedness of things like the prosperity gospel. But then you have those, even though we know the Bible says knowledge puffs up. Because they're so um, afraid of misrepresentatives of how the Spirit of God operates with people, they end up minimizing the role of God Holy Spirit. And <laughs> says, he won't do this and he doesn't do that, even though it's clear in his word. But because they can't wrap it around their minds, they end up committing committing great violence to the Lord's word by minimizing the role of God, the Holy Spirit. Think about that. And a part of the reason why that is the case is because men like to elevate ourselves to the place <laughs> to where God fits in the box that we've designed for him based on what we are comfortable with. Just because there are people that are false representatives of the truth of God's word, that doesn't make God's word false. That makes sense?